Magic is an illusion, but its relevance should not be underestimated in the modern world. To some extent, all art derives its energy from the magical impulse. The impulse to master the world by means of words, rhythm, images, and signs. Thank you, John. Thank, Thank you, John, you. for joining us again here um, and for reminding me that that's ultimately what we want to do, which is master the world here at Magic Camp. And it's what we are doing. <clears throat> We've been visited by the angel of John Berger once again. It is the holidays, after all. Like the the angel Gabriel, John Berger appears once a year to to remind us of our of our destiny. Mm-hmm. Nice looking angel. <laughs> he is fit, good hairline. Mm-hmm. Even into his old age, he had once he went silver fox. God damn, he looks good. Cool, cool sideburns. The whole deal. Where's a great Where's a great button down? Yeah, a pattern button. I see down. him in a vertical stripe. Vertical stripe. He's also, uh, you know, even proto before Queer Eye and Tan France brought the brought mm-hmm. the, the pattern shirt back into or printed shirt back into uh, into fashion. He and was all nice about button the button down the, floral. The florals, the button down florals. Exactly. <laughs> Berger was uh, all on that on that uh, game. Taking care of his um, his body. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah. So. Uh, How's it going, man? Good. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> Everybody's favorite of the major holidays. If if you're, um, you know, if you like eating bread and uh, occasionally cheating, having a, have a having a cheat day in your diet, you know, splurging a little bit with the calories. I stayed pretty good. Did you? Yeah. Well, that makes one of us. Ate pretty well. Yeah. Uh, no, it was a good, uh, good Thanksgiving. I'm pumped for the Christmas season. November really kicks ass right now in uh, Colorado. Really nice weather after a hot, hot, hot summer. Yeah. So. I, I don't know if kicks ass is quite the way I'm looking at it right now. No? Like, I mean, sure, I like being able to ride my bike into December in the mountains but oh, you're you're thinking you know globally. i'm thinking like doom and and you know despair and all these different things that come with an incredibly hot november well it's not going to be incredibly hot i i also know that that's too long i'm just not used to colorado totally yet that that can happen yeah that you get these wild swings in temperature it can be 65 70 degrees into the new year yep after christmas Yep. In, even up to my birthday, people are like, wow, it's Paul's birthday and it's still hot out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, anyways. Um, yeah, it's going good. How's it going with you? Uh, not too bad. I'm, I'm, uh, I enjoyed a full week off from school. And so I'm a little, feeling a little bit of uh, malaise to have to return to work. But it is, I think, one of the better more positive periods of any you know, at any point in the school year everybody knows just a couple weeks got to get a couple weeks of actual class work then you got finals then you got you got mary critches mm-hmm. and um so i think generally people are in a better mood it's a little bit easier to get to get back in the grind knowing that it's going to be over so quickly students are really going to be respecting you and um doing their work and you're damn right there bringing their best mm-hmm <laughs> To your classroom. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. I, I uh, 100% believe that all the time. And that's a little gift to you. 
a little gift to me as their teacher who learns more from them than they learn from me. <laughs> wow. I like yeah. that. I like that. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, that's great. So, um, yeah, what, any, uh, any fun stuff you've been up to? Did you, I heard you went to the art museum recently. Yeah, since last episode, uh, my, my art consumption has been pretty high. Yeah. I've been uh, dropping, dropping it into conversations all over the place. Um, I've, uh, yeah, recently, recently went to the Denver Art Museum a couple times. They just reopened seven floors of museum that have been closed down for like four years. Damn, that's cool. That's right. Um, And anyone in the area, I would definitely recommend checking it out. So at the top floor, Western Art. It's what you might imagine of like what what could uh, a Denver museum get their hands on in terms of stuff I expect to see in an art museum, which is paintings. And so they have quite a few. Well, I, I guess I would just recommend go to the top floor, check out the Western art because and then go to they have a whole center part of that gallery dedicated to the Taos artists. Um, oh, wow. Yep. Very cool. Getting some some much overdue respect for the Taos really? artists. Yes, and I think Denver is becoming like a place where you could go see these artists. Mm. Obviously, there's paintings that still remain in Santa Fe and Taos, but since they were neglected entirely up until uh, like the 70s when people started to actually appreciate that there were masters painting in this part of the world at that time... Um, and they started to be collected again. I think a lot of them have wound up in Denver, which just makes sense being the biggest city in the you know Rocky Mountain region. We're, so ha- we're happy to take up that mantle. Yeah. So, anyways, there's some there's a couple amazing Ernest Blumenshines and Victor Higgins there, and I mean, yeah, stood there really admiring. Yeah, a couple, couple, Will, couple Will, paintings Willie Wallodarskis, mm-hmm. um, Johnny Trambo- Trombones. Yeah, Johnny Trombones. You know. Christos, who did these like massive installations around the world, had one drawn up for Colorado, and so they have sketches of it, mm. uh, but it never was done. Never came to pass. No, because <clears throat> that always involved a lot of like local government haranguing mm. to get get these huge public works done. So he wanted to do something like on a big big river canyon. Yeah, and and we know that those those government fat cats, unless it's going into directly into their pockets, they're not interested. I'm saying on both sides. Yeah, you know who has on both sides. <laughs> yeah, the fat cats of of any color. And when I vote, I don't vote straight down the ballot. You know, I'll vote sometimes Democrat, sometimes Republican, sometimes you know other things you didn't even know about. <laughs> Same. And honestly, I think the truth is somewhere in the middle. We have these extremes out there these days more than ever. It's got to be. Yeah. Yeah. Truth is somewhere in just, the middle. If we could all just, you know, kind of tamp it down a little bit and see, listen to other people. That's what it, I'm it, saying. It would make a lot more sense. That's what I'm saying. But anyways, and then they have six awesome floors that I have hardly even tapped. And it's it's big enough that you should just go and just try and get a little piece every time. Um, and a lot of those floors, so there's like, um, Latin American floor, there's a native indigenous American floor, Asian, it's, 
it's extremely expansive and it's one of those types of museums that reminds you instantly how narrow the window is on what I mean even for this podcast what we consider to be art uh, which is painting mostly or, you know European style painting um, but you're immediately reminded of how much of art for the rest of the world includes so much decorative arts mm-hmm. and artisanship. So like, yeah, Native American beadwork and weaving and stuff like that. And it's incredible, incredible stuff. It's just, you're smacked in the face with how small, you know, our normal definition of, of fine art is. And if you, if that was your definition of fine art, then you would just have a European art museum. And okay, if you want to go see some more Manets and Monets and Pissaros and whatever, and they have that. Have you seen? I think you've been to that part of the yeah, like in the super mod building. Mm-hmm. They have some impressionist stuff, and it's like, who cares? You know, sure. Why would why would you go to Denver to see that? So true, true. It's can't, a good reminder. Can't argue with you there. So I'd like to go back and spend some more time. Cool. Well, before you do that, I I think you could probably scratch your itch for imagination and beauty and and all the things that you can encounter in a great art museum by watching this really awesome commercial that just, you know, I'm not one for commercials normally. I'm like, just get me back to the game, right? Click, 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 (laughs) bloop, bloop, bloop. I'll use the TiVo to skip through. Um, unless it's one of the, you know, one of the Clydesdale Budweiser horses, I, then I always stop, stop. Those are so funny. Give give my respect and my (laughs) reverence. Um, but no, this just, I was watching the, watching the tube recently over Thanksgiving, you know, as one does watching football and whatnot and saw this incredible commercial. So I'm just going to play it for both of us here for a, for a new company. I, I think it's one that. You know, you might have heard it before. I think they did a bit of a rebrand or something like that. But, like, it just mind-blown, to say the least. So I'll just show you the, the video. Okay, I'm looking and we'll, at it. Yeah, we'll play the audio. What do you see to start us here? Where are we? Well, it's one of my favorite places. It's a gallery. It's a gallery. I see those walls with those paintings. Museum. Yeah. We right. see paintings on the wall. That's all we see. Here, let, let's let's just give them the, the real-time experience here. Okay. People milling around. And we're zooming in on a group of Zoomers. And they just, their attention was caught by a Rousseau painting of a tiger. And they're looking closely into the painting. And the painting is doing something I've never seen before. And we're vibing. And the toucans are dancing. The uh, flamingos are also dancing. The Ewoks are dancing. And the Zoomers are dancing. And they're just head nodding. Snake, tiger. (laughs) This is going to be fun. Facebook meta. Okay, so... Wow. I mean, too much to unpack there, really, in it, just by watching the commercial. I had to watch it a few times again and again just to make sure I understood what was happening. Yeah. Um, one thing I'll, I'll give credit to for, for this advertisement for Meta, which if you haven't heard is 
Facebook's new venture of, you know, virtual reality something or other. Mm-hmm. They were they, in an incredible um, ability to cast um, people who who bump their heads in a really mm-hmm. cool way, in a way that's like, okay, if I could do that, if I could just figure out how to how to let loose and let go and let my imagination take over. I think things would be different for me. Is that what your Zoomer students look like? Totally. Yeah, they, they're incredibly well-dressed. Yeah. Everything's super colorful and color-coordinated, and they wear all these different types of little backpacks and um, interesting interesting choices of glasses. Nice glasses, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, if you hadn't already deduced this or seen this commercial yourself, you probably weren't as upset as, as I was to see it on the, on the first. It probably just literally passed through without even registering because it's actually a pretty boring and forgettable commercial but it is an advertisement for facebook meta meta yeah meta and and this is supposedly some big unveiling some huge rollout of their new their new platform which is it's essentially like second life or the sims but with your uncle there or something, yeah. I guess is the appeal is that basically you can, you can live in a virtual world. Um, but the whole idea of the commercial is that, or what happens is the, it's these kids, these zoomers who are looking for a little bit, something more They're in the art museum and they're taken in by this painting done by one of our beloved painters of your yeah. Henry Rousseau one of our f- favorite outsiders who painted who painted what he wanted to paint who who explored the the edges of his imagination despite being uh living a somewhat banal life as a as yeah, a toll booth operator he painted uh faraway tropics without having to actually go to tahiti and marry a 14 year old like <laughs> like one Paul one other Bogan. contemporary of his mm-hmm. yeah so now you don't even have to paint you don't even have to access that part of your imagination via the creative process meta will take you there meta will take you into henry rousseau's um famous jungle scapes where a tiger is eating a is it eating a what is the tiger eating i don't know paul you don't know this by memory i don't you're making me so sad as you speak that i'm just i'm bumming you out shriveling and turning in look bro it's we have to we have to be able to process. Well, the funny thing is, is that the, the cur- commercial is called Tiger and Buffalo. Oh, which certainly is not the it's name. It's definitely of the not a buffalo. It's it's like a wa- maybe it's a, it's a water water buffalo. buffalo. Okay, it's a water buffalo. But that's definitely not the name of the painting. It's I don't know it by name, but mm-hmm. you've seen it. So a couple things come to mind in this. The first thought that I had after watching it a couple of times was, of course, this is the way that they're. Or this is a very predictable way that they would market this new software and and fail to do so miserably. Yeah, um, it's a cynical attempt to to market this horrible technology, which will which will fail vaporware, but will will still encapsulate or or hold our attention for one reason or another, or hold some corner of the market for one reason or or another. Um, a cynical attempt to equate this with art or to equate it with um you know the 
a continuation of a continuation of the greatest cultural development, cultural and imaginative developments that we've had in the last 300 years and the human spirit and the human spirit of wildness, of possibility of, of, um, beauty that, that that's, you know, the paintings did that for us for a little while and art museums are a special place and zoomers still go to them by the way, which I'm sure some of them do. But now we have the next thing. We have the thing that is a continuation or is the, the next step beyond the, our formerly sacred, um, rarefied realm that was art, which mm-hmm. to me is a misunderstanding for one of art, of, or at least is not a misunderstanding, but is uh, the way our culture uh, incorrectly views it as, as this kind of rarefied thing, hence the museum. But that something like Facebook or Meta is is a step above, a step beyond, mm-hmm. and that's why you shouldn't be afraid of it because mm-hmm. it's actually it's actually good. It's actually based on human um, uh, courage and creativity and goodness, and not and not its absolute antithesis or opposite, which is you know greed and bottomless. Um, cynical uh appetite yeah um it's one of those things where i i saw it with like my with my wife's family oh you you had sent it to me first and then i saw it then i saw it on the tv Mm -hmm. and i'm like steaming screaming actually (laughs) like what the hell is wrong with uncle ben and i'm trying to explain in a couple seconds of why i'm having this this is bullshit that's henry rousseau Rousseau. he's one of the the great iconoclastic post-impressionist painters (laughs) and um yeah there's so many things that depress me about it first of all i've been trying very hard to examine and deal with some of my own negativity and not hate as many things. Yeah. And then I come up some like something against that, and I'm like, how can I do anything but hate? <laughs> like, it, hate. I I must hate. Mm-hmm. If I can't hate this, I can't be a person. Yeah. You should hate it. You should. And and I don't think um, hating this means that you hate have to hate everything else. Yeah. No, like, you're right. I mean, like commercials. Ex- advertising exist in a in a, a small little corner of hell yeah. that that we can visit on occasion to remind ourselves of our basest and most deprived tendencies. Well, even the like commercials I was I was trying to be introspective about of like is it necessary for me to like It's definitely not necessary unless it's this, unless it's most of the time it's better to just dismiss and just let yeah, it roll ignore, on like right. so much white noise. Yeah, no, that that is more the way to go. And sometimes it'll amaze me, like certain people I know, not like peers, but um, it's just crazy, like that not everyone has the same reaction. Where it's like I, this is toward a, commercials. Yeah, it's like yeah. this is like shameless, um, <laughs> shameless like emotional manipulation through troop worship for a bank like right that sort of thing and it's like you don't get how disgustingly cynical this is mm-hmm. and then it's like oh that's nice like that's i'll i'll hear that 
that side. Oh, I, I like that. Mm-hmm. Anyways, um, so there's that. A couple of the, couple, the immediate things that ran through my mind were I think of the ad agency that Facebook hired to do something like that. And I think of the meetings and the little creative brainstorming over oh. Zoom. And I think of the, 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 the guy or girl in the group who pitched the idea. Who's who like, likes art. I like art. Yeah. I'm an artist, I think. I'm a storyteller. Mm-hmm. I like Rousseau. And just the moral decision to offer up that idea and and but and to cross the line to say, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do <laughs> I'm this. I'm gonna sacrifice this I'm gonna, for, right. for Facebook. You I, know? I don't think the, and it's the either decision okay or, even is made. I think it's already been been bypassed. Yeah. If you're in that room, you've already bypassed that dilemma. That's true. Yeah, you you have to believe it. You have to believe that that you are a continuation of of that legacy. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and okay, and then that, and then the thing I mentioned to you too of what what is the value add? Obviously, that's no one is excited about this. Nobody likes Facebook. It has no like right. It has no advocates, as far as I'm aware. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it's weird that they like constantly call attention to themselves to get like crapped on by everybody but um so nobody's asking for it and i I just don't understand obviously with any of the stupid ar vr like how this augments reality how does where's the value add to reality and it's blatant in this we're like excuse me what is that what are you actually saying you'll add to the painting you'll add you'll put it in a cad model moving and then you can look around it a little bit more and the point I was trying to explain is like that is actually a actively subtract subtracting and ruining the picture because by trying to fill in those details, you remove all the space that was there for your imagination right. and gives it the depth and the mystery and and allows like you could actually have that zoomer experience of like I'm vibing with this world because it's ten it suggests ten percent and has your mind. Right. Fill in the mystery. The other ninety percent. This is reverse. It's like it puts everything in a in a CAD model. Which is that? Is that not the appeal of of that type of internet experience or what what they what is pitched to us is that you don't have to do the thinking anymore. You, yeah. It's not your imagination anymore. You just have to step into it. Right. And the rest, the rest will be done for you. I I don't get what the zoomers were vibing with so much like they've seen all the pixar movies like right is why why is this 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 significantly uh less sophisticated rendering of madagascar interesting to them yeah they have madagascar it's worse worse than madagascar which is bad which is actually bad animation yeah you could if you like to move it it, you could always you could always just watch madagascar they have uh, two or three the little lemur guy who's so funny I like to move it, move it. I like to move it. I, I just, I'm sorry. Were there any lemurs in this? Were there any lemurs? Were there any funny one-liners about, um, you know, that's going to leave a mark. Or, <laughs> or um, you can kiss my hoo-ha. Yeah. Something like that. I didn't, I didn't see any animals dancing to some rendition of I like big butts. <laughs> no, so I'm out. I'm Hippopotamuses, out. for instance. Nope. Monkeys or... You know, flamingos. There were flamingos. One second. Um, no, so it's it sucks. Obviously, 
few people are probably as upset about it as we are. They're probably more just annoyed by meta, which mm -hmm. is cool. Keep that attitude and avoid it. It's probably one of their more advanced commercials, though, because it's the most abstract. Right. The more people, I mean, I Jeff see that's a thing. That's a, something that I think they attempted there was like, we're not going to be didactic anyway. We're not going to give a message. What if we just like, yeah, and they don't tell suggest. you what their product is because the whole thing is, you know, like a concept car of, yeah, it's here's this cool thing we're going art. to come out with at some point. Question mark. Yeah. And so there's not as much to say that's it, that's the product, that's stupid, mm -hmm. you know, versus the other ones that's like literally uh, Zuckerberg, you know, with his little 3D guy. Uh-huh. It's like, that's dumb. I don't want to do that. Right. We have video poker. I don't <laughs> want to play video poker with Zuckerberg. No, thanks. I pass on that. Anyway, I thought you would enjoy that. Um, I'll probably watch it a few more times before bed. Well, I didn't. Oh, and also, I, I was just looking at these headlines um, to make you really mad before we close this topic. Okay. <clears throat> Metaverse properties are selling for millions in virtual land rush. Metaverse is... That's not even probably true. <laughs> right. That 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 is a, a story that was that was pitched to the New York Times. Like, we'll, we'll give you X amount of dollars if you will run this story. Well, listen to this. Metaverse is $1 trillion opportunity, Grayscale says, as land sales boom. NFT, virtual land sells for record-breaking $2.5 million. Plot of digital land in the Metaverse sells for $2.43 million. So this is all referring to the same thing. It's referring to someone bought a little piece of digital metaverse land for and it was two and a half a million dollars. Facebook shareholder, yeah, almost undoubtedly, right? Um, wow. I hope I hope it all just. I hope all those people lose all their money. <laughs> yeah, I but, hope it is like the gold rush. But it's like it's it's like NFTs and it's or crypto. It's and what is uh, what does it, NFT stand for again? Non-fuckable token. <laughs> Non-fungible tokens. Which is what exactly? <laughs> no, not even. Not worth it. Forget it. That, ask it's just, ask it's, Damien Hurst. Uh-huh. Um, no, but it, it's all the same deal where it's like the people who are in on it think they're in on the joke. Whether it's a scam or not doesn't matter if they're on the inside. Yeah. No cool, not good. Not it sounds like high school all not over good, again. Not good, not cool. <laughs> um, not good, not cool. Uh, you could say that about Mark Zuckerberg. Nobody's ever accused him of being cool. True. Um, okay, so what else is new? What else have we been up to lately, art wise? It's, it's been it has been a, a good art month. Yeah. I would say since we've been a little bit slow on since our previous episode but that's because we're busy being um productive members of society and creatively flourishing <laughs> sorry sorry if you can't figure that out catch up yeah for sure so you recommended to me um a film that was really good it was and very i took good. your took your advice watched it on youtube found a better version of it because it is actually kind of hard to find which is a shame 
Yeah. Um, Can, but yeah. this is a person and an, an artist who we have long wanted to devote an entire episode to, um, which we will in the future. We, we can't today because we haven't done the proper research, but what's the name of the movie? Is it just Basquiat? Basquiat. Yeah. Basquiat. 1996. Was it? Something like that. Yeah. 1996 film starring Jeffrey Wright, who you will recognize certainly from all sorts of stuff, including uh, Westworld, um, the latest Bond, the, the OG on HBO, the latest Bond. He's that, um, you know, he's a good CIA good, guy. He's a, he plays a good CIA agent, a, a CIA agent with a soul. Mm-hmm. He plays that really well. He's got. He's also got a really nice. Um, receding hairline like just that he wears well i think he's probably pretty bald at this point but um just a really normal looking but still handsome black man Mm -hmm. and it's just like i love that this guy is on screen yeah because he's so he's so human and and um accessible in in a way and but is he's so talented at the same time yeah yeah he plays basquiat if, He's if very good. He plays evident. Basquiat. Um, and he, and he, you wouldn't know it. He looks so young. He plays him perfectly. Yeah, he's got... He's got the walk down. He's got this, like, the gate. Yeah. Like, because I've seen, like, picture. You see these pictures of Basquiat, and you see, like, these little clips of him, and he has this kind of, like, like, swag... Like, um, swagger's a stupid word in, in that context. But, you know, he has this, like, um, way of moving through the world that's like he's at a different rhythm than, than everybody else. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah. And he's got the hairdo to he's boot. He's got the hairdo to boot. Yep. Um, he's, yeah, he's the d- d- definitive representation like Willem Dafoe is of, uh, of Van Gogh. Of Van Gogh, who's also in Basquiat. Has That's a, right. Has a small role. Stacked cast. For, Super for stacked cast. And as a little treat for everybody, um, David Bowie plays, plays Andy Warhol. And he's incredible. He's really good, and yeah. He he kind of... Um, renewed or at least probably uh provoked my first interest in learning more about andy warhol me too i thought it was extremely sympathetic Mm -hmm. i like really it really piqued my interest and and made me feel for him as a human being in a way for both of them yes and their relationship was incredibly special and tender right um and apparently i mean they died only about a year apart right Warhol died in 87, I think, 86. And Basquiat died not shortly uh, after or shortly thereafter. In, yeah, in like about within a year. Yeah. Um, if you didn't, sorry if you didn't know that both those guys were dead, but um, they had, they formed an unlikely friendship, which is, which is one of the, like the silver linings of this movie, which is uh, in many ways about the perils of, of his life as an artist and, and yeah. all of the tragic and um, sad things that happened to him because of the way the art world took advantage of him and the media and um, white America in a lot of ways and, and the white sort of the, the whiteness of, of the art world in particular um, yeah. took advantage of him. And it's, it's really sad, but really beautiful and really well done. Um, and I want to learn more about Basquiat. Me too. And we haven't dove in yet. 
because I mean, I've been afraid to, I definitely wouldn't say that I understand Basquiat and there's like a, a huge amount of fear for me because I just, um, I'm just so nervous about how to untangle the art from the way it was absorbed and right. what all that means. And what's great about the movie is it deals with that. Yeah. Like that's, that's one of the major topics, mm-hmm. um, is how this young person was young black person was absorbed by the New York art world by very rich patrons and art speculators and christened and potentially used up and then discarded in a way. And that's always gave me a lot of chills and just made me really nervous to talk about. Sure. It's, um, it's, it's fraught. It's part of the, yeah. Part of the complication of, of right. talking about it. And yeah, what, I mean, the movie's a really good lens for it just because it, it brings all that to bear. And there, there's a great line where I think some collectors looking at it and, and says like, this is the genuine voice of the gutter or something oh like God. that. Yeah. <clears throat> it's so funny. It's, it's like a, a step away from, um, <laughs> he is a loathsome offensive brute and yet I cannot look away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cosmo Kramer as the representation of like the, just like the, totally unsophisticated um i don't know hipster dumbass class yeah of america um hipster doofus class hipster doofus yep uh, um no that it's it's really well done and again a, a check in the category of this movie could probably not be made today it's hard to imagine something with that level of um just like assumed knowledge and dexterity in, yeah. in like basic questions about art and culture. Mm-hmm. That sounds very pretentious of me to say, but a lot of those things are, it, it's, it's a very, the movie moves along very swiftly and, and yeah. efficiently as a biopic, but it also has a lot of, of like good information about art and mm-hmm. just like entertain sophisticated questions without spelling them out for you. Yeah. And and that's my my point is like a movie today about Basquiat would get up to the beginning of his career. It it would be about the the yeah, introduction of Basquiat and it right. would and then it would fail or fall short of achieving or or encapsulating the full complexity of mm-hmm. of his life and his situation. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I definitely agree. Um Bowie's really good in it. Um, yeah, too bad. Um, you know, Warhol could have been a bald pimp, but true. But he, he wore the classic wig. wigs. You know, respect to that's, the wig. Respect to the wig game. Yeah, if, I, if I that's agree. the way you're gonna go, because people knew he was bald. Right. That. Yeah. It was yeah. At, same with like Elton John. Everybody knows they're bald underneath. It's just a choice. Yeah. I'm gonna wear a wig. Okay. Fine. Sure. Wigs are cool. I wish there were some more male wig options. You and me both, brother. <laughs> um, yeah, Bowie's really good. And I think it'd be really useful to talk more about Warhol and Basquiat together. Um, because it's, yeah, it's a very interesting friendship and seemed genuine. And Warhol seemed to have such a, like, nurturing instinct mm-hmm. and was trying to get him off drugs, it seemed to imply. Right. Um Right. And yeah, there's some really good lines about, um, 
people assumed that Warhol was just using Basquiat for his youth and fame, you know, to keep bolstering his career. And Basquiat says at one point, he's, he's the only person who doesn't need me. He has, there's, I have he has nothing to gain from me. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then they had their collective show that was kind of critically disclaimed mm. and not successful. And I think Basquiat more so took it poorly and that's what kind of broke up their friendship towards the end of their lives. And then, yeah. Yeah. Um, that's super sad, but I'd like to know more. Sure. And Warhol is interesting. And actually there's a Warhol at, um, in the Denver art museum. Yeah. I think I've seen it. It's, um, um it's the soup, right? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, <laughs> the soup one. It's, it's, it's a soup or the lady. Was it the is soup, it the or, soup the or the, no, it was the, you know, the attractive lady <laughs> with the different colors of the hair. Mm-hmm. Different in yeah. the lips. Mm-hmm. No, it's actually a Native American. Um, yes, I remember seeing that. Um, and another person, and this is a, a segue into the other film that I, that I recently watched. Um, great role, small-ish role in Basquiat is a young Benicio del, Pero, del mm-hmm. Toro. Yeah, yeah. That guy's got charisma for days. Yeah, that's true. He's excellent in that. He, um, who does he play? He plays Basquiat's friend before he gets famous. Right. Who they like do coke together and stuff. Yeah, he's but good. Then, but then they're shooting hoops in the beginning. Yeah, he's yeah. Like, he's, he's like explaining hey, how to be famous. But he says yeah. he says one of the best things ever. He's like he's like you don't want to be famous, man. Most famous people are stupid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, um, the 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 other like most prescient line I think and another great character Michael Michael Wincott who's like his first collector critic. Right. Um, I didn't recognize that guy. Me neither, but he, uh-huh. he was very good. Um, where he sort of like crashes the dinner party. Oh yeah. And he says, "Oh, I forgot. We don't collect art anymore. We collect people." Uh huh. Um, which is right. The kind of the whole uneasiness about Basquiat. Right. Oh man, brutal. Okay, so Benicio del Toro also has a starring role in um, a movie that. I'm very excited about, I'm going to try to pitch it here to you, the listener, dear listener, without boring you or, um, you know, confirming my status as uh, a basic indie white guy. Okay. Um, in that, I believe that the new Wes Anderson movie, The French Dispatch, is perhaps his best movie to date, his magnum opus, that all of his work has been working towards and culminating in this picture. You're saying that about Wes Anderson? Yes. Not Benicio Del Toro. No, no, no. Right, right. Uh, well, he's excellent in it, but um, I loved it. I'm not going to give a thorough analysis of it here. I'll say that it is a um, it's a movie that is comprised of three vignettes, and Benicio Del Toro plays a painter, an incarcerated artist in one of them. In, and all of this is kind of set in some of the eras that we really love. Um, it, it kind of actually spans a, a and Jeffrey Wright shit. Damn. Jeffrey Wright plays a um, like a, a James Baldwin analog, hmm. and brilliantly, hmm. like he puts his own spin on it. He's not doing an impersonation of Baldwin, but kind of an homage to some of those classic Baldwin, like Dick Cavett show appearances. I don't know if you ever saw hmm. any of those clips of, or if you saw I Am Not Your Negro, um, which is a, a good documentary. So we've got we've got a lot of homages to those uh, people 
and the whole premise is that it's kind of a New Yorker style magazine um, that's that is based in some little town in France. And I had heard the movie pitched as um, you've probably seen this tagline like in the trailers or in you know reviews and stuff where they they'll call it a a love letter to journalists, which which it is definitely not. <laughs> and like it's so it's I'm actually more um, kind of like annoyed by myself that I even believed that that would be the case. Yeah, that that would be a premise that Wes Anderson himself would be interested in yeah. it's like no it's not a love letter to journalists like that's yeah. such a banal and that like, movie is called the post yeah it's called the post or spotlight which is a good movie but um no it's it's a lot more than that i i think it's about um if it's a love letter to anything it's a love letter to um to like the urge to create the urge to create a life of aesthetic and political meaning, mm-hmm. which is to me like also the sort of centerpiece of this very program. Um, and, and it kind of casts backwards, casts a light backwards on all of his movies in a way, kind of helps you see them better in that he's been pursuing that kind of all along in one way or another, um, that he's been trying to trying to write stories or make stories about these people who are trying to actualize some grander vision mm-hmm. in a world that prevents them from doing so. Mm-hmm. But the aesthetic of the films themselves is the form matches the content in most of his movies, but never more so in this movie, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I was skeptical because I think up to this point, Grand Budapest Hotel, hot take, it's my least favorite. Hmm. I think it's his fussiest and his emotion, his most emotionally dry, or or abs, uh, vacant. Yeah, yeah. This is, I think, a marriage of of those two things. You know if what that makes sense? We should do with the Christmas season coming up a, a watch through. We should. Yeah. You got to see it. So. My point here, or one of my points, is there's a great, one of the second vignettes, I won't spoil anything, but I will say that a manifesto plays a role, an important role in the second vignette. Ding, this ding, is, ding. This is the one with little Timmy Chalamet, which, whoo-wee, yeah. you know. Um, no, he's he's good as good as always. Also, Frances McDormand's in that one, so she's great, too. Um, but the, the creation of a manifesto and a sort of, like, fraught political climate he's a young he's a young like writer activist and and it's kind of poking fun at the concept of a manifesto as as we sometimes do which are Um, inherently funny they are inherently funny and and this is that story is kind of about that Mm -hmm. and this this impossibility but the worthiness of attempting to use language to express a political and artistic aesthetic. Yeah. You know? Hell yeah. And, and that, I've never seen that done on screen before. Hmm. So I thought it was beautifully done and perfectly rendered and um, kind of brought back that, you know, interest as we've had before in manifestos. So can you maybe catch us up to speed? What what manifestos have we talked about so far in, in this show? We've done Surrealist. Surrealist, you say? 
Yeah. Oh, that's right. We did do surrealist. Surrealist, futurist, and um, we didn't spend a lot of time on it, but Dada. Uh, I think we've read from the Cubist Manifesto. Um, I think think that's pretty much it. That's about, about all it. Mm-hmm. And then our, you could say that our entire um, podcast is the Communist Manifesto. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, no, we love them. We love we love the the manifesto um, as the the preferred genre for for angsty, arrogant twenty two year olds um, yep. who, who have gotten a little too big for their britches and need to get just get a dang job. They've got big balls. Let's say that much. <laughs> Um, so here, here's a a reminder. I think you maybe haven't ever listened to the surrealism app or the futurist app. Here's, here's a little from the futurist manifesto from, uh, Marinetti, which I thought, wait, oh, wait, Brent Breton. Breton is the surrealist. He's the surrealist. Okay. So this is from Marinetti, 1909. Number one, we intend to sing the love of danger. The habit of energy and fearlessness, courage, boldness, and rebellion will be the essential elements in our poetry. Up to now, literature has extolled a contemplative stillness, rapture, and reverie. We intend to glorify aggressive action, arrestive wakefulness, life at the double, the slap and the punching fist. The slant, slap and the punching fist. That's what my students are going to get if they, if they <laughs> give me any guff. Um, so that's a good, that's a great one. I think that was one of our favorite manifestos, like, and thinking about how the futurists actually, of all of the different movements that we've looked at, did see some very significant political valence mm-hmm. to, to, that came out of their, their art, or maybe alongside it. I don't know if you could really trace that thread, but, um, but not necessarily in a good way. You know, they, yeah. they were essentially pretty fash. Um, <laughs> pretty fash, yeah. They're, they're pretty just just a little bit fash and, and didn't maybe know it. Um, mm-hmm. who, know, who knows? Who's to say? Mm-hmm. Um, what else do we have here? Any that caught your eye? Well, I mean, we've always talked about um, Vasily Kandinsky mm. because he's one of these people who wrote so much about painting and theorized so much about painting. But then it's upon like testing it it's a little too abstract. Um, yeah. The mutual influence of form and color now becomes clear. A yellow triangle, a blue circle, a green square, or a green triangle, a yellow circle, a blue square. All these are different and have different spiritual values. Yeah. That's really interesting. And that one gives, um, some image vibes. Um, Mm-hmm. concerning the spiritual and art and and it was one of the earliest kind of aesthetic sort of worldviews that I found myself attracted to or indoctrinated by mm-hmm. was this idea that like you know color and form were you know spiritually expressive yeah and I, I don't think that's not true necessarily um, but it does it does in retrospect look a little or feel a little, I don't know, misleading. Yeah. Or it's or one of those limiting. books that you 
you order it and you're like, this is so cool. And then you start to read it and realize you're never going to finish it, but right. it's great to have on the shelf. I've got that one. Yeah. I've got it on my shelf. Um, we have the Dada manifesto, which is one of my favorites. The whole thing is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, oh man, I actually want to get that whole thing. Oh, I have it here. I have the beginning of it. So here's Dada. The magic of a word, Dada, which has brought journalists to the gates of a world unforeseen, is of no importance to us. To put out a manifesto, you must want A, B, C. To fulminate against one, two, three. To fly into a rage and sharpen your wings. To conquer and disseminate little ABCs and big ABCs. <laughs> to sign, shout, swear. To organize prose into a form of absolute and irrefutable evidence. To prove your non-plus, ultra, and maintain that novelty resembles life. Just as the latest appearance of some whore proves the essence of God. I mean, that that's the only one that we've read so far that is mocking the manifesto. Yeah, and, yeah. And it's, and it's, it's mocking form mocking language itself um that's the thing is like um the dadas were great you know and, and very interesting and we should talk about them more they were the most in some ways direct politically you know they're they're like we're communists our art is communists mm-hmm. and we're we're engineering it in a way to uh to to be a virus in the system of our, of this bourgeois society. Right. But they're also the most like, because they came a little bit later after the the first wave of like revolutionary artists and just, yeah, where they were placed in our history, they're the most art school sort of in their own heads about it. So they Uh can't do it without being a little, without the irony. Right. Whereas what's, nice about the futurist manifestos or the surrealists is there's no irony like it's full cringe mm-hmm. you know they're they're being earnest right um or may, maybe not completely but the dadas like they're working heavily with irony sure um i i do find the the bauhaus um one i don't know if you read that mm-hmm. which when we 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 mostly have talked about painting. I realize, like I said, going to the Denver Art Museum, realize like the aperture of art that we're talking about is mostly painting. Um, but I think it's good to focus. I've been so scared and not really wanted to go anything like architecture, mm-hmm. um, even though especially for a certain period of art, you know, there's like this orgasm of like everything is art, everything is going to fall under the logic of art, mm. and that's what like Bauhaus really represents of is like bringing the whole world into artistic process and vision is Mondrian Bauhaus. Uh, I don't know. Pete? I mean, yeah. Related. Right. He's the one who did the little the squares. squares. Yeah. Yeah. Related. I think. Um, but so this says art architects, sculptors, painters, we must all return to craftsmanship for there is no such thing as art by profession. There is no essential difference between the artist and the artisan. The art, the artist is an exalted artisan, which is a great point and a very necessary criticism of fine art in the Western tradition as something so elevated and above uh, mere craftsmanship, right? And um, it's a very necessary point. The same thing I was just saying about the arbitrary uh, lifting of 
painting above, say, like beadwork or um, sculpting right. furniture or like re- objects of religious worship or like the way that all art is, well, maybe not necessarily, but the relationship of art to decoration is so close. And since the Renaissance, like that Western tradition of elevating the artist above the craftsman is very dangerous or it's, it can be superficial. What, what are you I thinking? have mixed feelings on that and I have to work through them, but I, I mostly largely agree. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I have to work through that. Well, I completely agree. I have totally mixed feelings too, because I, you know, have so much, um, that sounds rid- ridiculous, but I understand that point of view or have dealt with that point of view so much of art and design are the same thing. Um, and, you know, so I, I did industrial design in school and that whole Bauhaus mentality is really like, I mean, that's really where the modern art and design school comes from, um, of elevating uh, everyday objects to the level of art and lowering the level of fine art to the use of everyday objects, like trying to abolish that distinction. And it can be so misleading because that's not true. And I think we have to preserve and pursue a distinction between uh, commercial commercial design and fine art that transcends uh, utilitarian or market value, you know? Sure, sure. Because, I mean, that's everybody, everyone I, or most people that I went to school with or who I work with who continually are going to have to delude themselves with the lie of, I started off with an interest in art and then I had to get a job and now I'm trying to convince myself that my job is art and it's not. Right. UX is not art. Yes. <laughs> it's not. See, but. see, that's what I mean. Um, or that's not the only only point that I'm making. Um, because, again, and, and I, I need to work, work my way through this a little bit more. Because I think maybe the, the thing that we could both agree on is that all, art always is functional in some way or another. Or should always be functional. In that... I don't know. Again, I, I haven't I haven't worked myself all the way through this, but an artisan in the like in the er, early or ancient Rome was still painting a sculpture, sculpting a sculpture, um, for a purpose that was beyond a mere uh, sort of uh, practical function. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Sure. So I don't know if you can necessarily say that art is the same as art, as craftsmanship. Mm-hmm. I, I, and I don't, I also don't think that it should just be viewed as a rarefied or separate thing. Mm-hmm. It's just that it should be understood. Its function should be understood. Yeah, right. Its function should be, um, meaningful mm-hmm. and and not merely for the sake of being meaningful mm-hmm. do you see what i mean that like renaissance art or even proto-renaissance art like 
let's say icons mm -hmm. was meaningful because it presented people with the opportunity for spiritual reflection and contemplation in ways that they couldn't otherwise encounter. That doesn't mean it's inherently special. It just means it has a specific function mm -hmm. and that that function is necessary and good. Yeah. But I think what you're describing about Renaissance art giving way to Western sort of um, rarefication or, or over-spiritualization of art mm -hmm. has more to do with art being venerated for its own sake, for its own value. That it's, oh, it's, it's art, therefore it's valuable. Mm -hmm. It's valuable, therefore it's art. Mm -hmm. That there's no, there's no uh, thought toward what its function actually is. So I'm not saying that, it's, that it isn't craftsmanship or that it should be separate from craftsmanship necessarily. Just that I wouldn't necessarily equate it with craftsmanship i do agree or artisanship i do agree see what I mean? yeah that's an interesting point i i see where you're going with it um and yeah we have to be able to discern the difference uh between uh really great aesthetically looking tea kettle and a piece of art for i mean it depends on context but yeah, so that that's that is exactly uh, that's a perfect example, um, because I, I think the value of a beautifully designed tea kettle may be equivalent to a beautifully designed sculpture mm -hmm. that maybe resembles a tea kettle in some way, but has no functional purpose. And has a different function. Has a different function, right, which is right. to provoke different questions about it's some, space and form. Yeah. Right. You know, and shape. Right. And, and, and like, it's a very fine line when you start getting into, you know, things like um, furniture and, and, like, architecture especially. And, mm -hmm. ma and maybe that's a new frontier for us. Yeah. Because, because the line is very thin. Right. And the, I mean, the question is, it's bringing it up. I do think it probably, it seems like it would be something good for us to get into and mm -hmm. it'll be a tough one. But, um, I mean, I, I think personally, I think not first iPhone, that's, <laughs> that, art. that's a work of art. That's a work. You of know art. what else is a work of art? Second iPhone. <laughs> <laughs> the third one. The iPhone six, not the iPhone five. The 4S. Yep. The Samsung Galaxy Q. Game Boy. That was a work of art because it was fun. <laughs> art should be fun, right? Come on. Ken Griffey Jr.'s Slugfest. Hell yeah. Here are some rules of the uh, the laws of sculptors, which sculpt... This is surprising. The laws of sculptors. Number one, always be smartly dressed, well-groomed, relaxed, friendly, polite, and in complete control. Hell yeah. I'm not a sculptor, but that's my rule. Make the world believe in you to pay heavily for this and to pay heavily for this privilege. Honestly, good. Never worry, assess, discuss, or criticize, but remain quiet, respectful, and calm. The Lord chisels still, so don't leave your bench for long. Honestly, Lord. I, I have no idea how this applies to sculpting, but if you were to take these four uh, rules, 
and put them like uh, on a picture. Like you have a picture of Tom Hardy <laughs> in a suit yeah, and then yeah. put these rules over them. <laughs> Indistinguishable from like rise and grind rules. Hell yeah. 1967. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not much has changed. Am I right? <laughs> a strong handshake will still get you where you need to go. Make the world believe in you and pay heavily for this privilege is uh, that's kind that, of the, yeah. yeah, that's what that <laughs> is. That's the cheat code. It is. Um, that, that's as, that's, I do like this from, um, I don't know anything about stuckism, mm-hmm. um, but rule number two, painting is the medium of self-discovery. Not, I would, you know, of course it's not the medium, but, um, I think that people who've sort of, uh, used painting as a proxy for self actualization and discovery. And I think, I think of Cezanne of like, he's struggling towards something with his life and painting is the proxy he uses mm. to get to that. And it's, um, it's not even so much, I think for, for me about, um, trying to understand paintings or, or yeah, painting specifically visual art when you're trying to understand how pictures work, um, and how symbols work and how, meaning is constructed through pictures and how they impact us. It's, it's all, it's all really layered on top of the basic question of how do, how do I work? How do I live? Yeah. Like, uh, understanding yourself Mm -hmm. in, in trying to understand art, whether or not it's your art or someone else's. Um, I don't know about these stuckists though. Yeah, I don't know who they are. I, I since they made this manifesto in 1999, I'm picturing that they like are all uh, people in a Kevin Smith movie, mm-hmm. like Alanis Morissette types, um, and it's all very 90s. It feels very 90s. Yeah, art that has to be in a gallery to be art isn't art. I, I can I can I can fuck with that, but I, I also I think a little bit of scrutiny kind of you know it doesn't hold the weight of total of scrutiny. The other thing that's um I've always been wary of with Basquiat is like you'll see him referred to as the not the godfather of but a proto street artist and sort of like a early pioneer of street art, and I just don't know. Of like a Banksy type street art, yeah. Of well, mm-hmm. more of like um, '80s New York graffiti. Well, he would have been after that, or not after. That's but, what I mean. But, I'm like, how could that really be true? See, see, I don't think they're necessarily saying it was graffiti per se, because graffiti would have started earlier than him, right? But but I think they do mean the kind of like like Bring, mural, high big art. city murals, like like things that you see on a on a street corner that are not graffiti, but are like supposed to be art. But, but, and, and may, maybe that's true, but he was way better than a lot of the stuff you'll see on like yeah. murals that you'll see. I don't know. Um, yeah. I mean, he, he, that is kind of how he got his start at least. He got to start doing big butterfly wings outside of coffee shops and people could yeah. pose in there. They could, they could yeah. pose in there. Yeah. Um, or like a, a picture of, of, um, 
I don't know, some love like Biggie Smalls or something with like a tear coming off his face. <laughs> yeah. Crying for, for his neighborhood. Yeah. Um, yeah. And um, yeah, it's with Basquiat. It's like, I just, it's, it's so hard. Cause he, I just don't know how much there's there to decode because especially like the street art stuff where he would incor- incorporate a lot of symbols and like the Samo character. Yeah. And what does it all mean? If I spend all this time trying to understand it, what, is there anything to understand? You I don't know? think there really is. I mean, the thing, I think the thing that was really powerful about him or about his art, and I haven't spent enough time with this to, to like, you know, have a, have a thesis about why this is, but you can tell the difference. You can tell the difference between, um, kind of like half successful or half um, failed sort of like found art street art mm-hmm. that he was doing and what he was actually doing. Yeah. Yeah. Like when you look at it, the way that they present it in the movie and you see some of these th- things, you see some of the sort of like little sort of like poetry, poetry, like slashes of poetry that he was putting in things it really does have the the presence of of art to it mm-hmm. if that makes sense like i don't want to necessarily affirm a like an idea of like a pure art but there was something pure and something yeah ri- like undeniable about about his talent that a lot of imitations of that kind of art just don't have yeah that, that are that just obviously seem shallow and stupid because he had or, like a, a clarity of direction yeah 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 right i don't know that was that was poorly put but no it's fine he, I mean, it feels need... real that's all the only way to put it it feels authentic it, it's it's real talent that's why he was so wildly successful so quickly yeah like aside from the cynical um reasons that people kind of promoted him mm-hmm. yeah the talent came first and that like the the power of his art was prerequisite true you know what i mean yep okay so that's that's all we have for manifestos i think nothing in art is new or old-fashioned only good or bad who said i, I that? could take that or leave that uh, Grayson Perry, 2014. If you make a, a manifesto after 1945, is it even a manifesto? No, it's not, because history ended uh, <laughs> in 1989. 1989. Precisely sure. the year I was born. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm trying to scan for who this person is, but no, I don't. Uh, I don't really like that one. No. Because it's, because it's too flexible and it it, yeah. can, it could be used in uh, reactionary ways or or the other way, um, right? And I also think I do at the moment think um, part of the point of art of a, of a certain kind, like maybe even just painting, is to discover new things. Like it's to it's to discover things to. Um, to realize new 
potentials of of uh pictorial being um Mm -hmm. you know there is a there's a point when i mean something could be good but then you know what what's the point but anyways sure what's our time one hour okay well speaking of manifestos we've been at this for about what a year and a half now two years almost over a year, I think. Over a year. We yeah. started we started this little thing called Magic Camp. Year and a half, I would say. At the beginning of 2020. Right. Yeah. And we have finally decided to write a manifesto. Hell yes. And we fully expect that this manifesto will change the world. It's going to disturb the world at the very least. It's going to disturb you in your comfortable suburban um, backyard pool with your basketball court and your Frito nachos and your, you know, your little pool toys. And I fully expect for our SoundCloud to get taken down after this. Yeah. Because my Twitter accounts get locked up, which I don't have. It's, it's very difficult to speak freely nowadays. <laughs> Um, now more than ever. Now more than ever. More than ever, a manifesto is needed or necessary. Actually, though, it's funny because I was thinking about manifestos again, and in recent memory, have there been any manifestos other than deranged alt right <laughs> mass murderer, like yeah. woman hating manifestos, active shooter manifestos? Yeah. I don't think so. I think that's what we uh, except for. Christopher Dorner did write a manifesto. Okay. And it holds up. <laughs> Sick. Um, obviously, complicated guy, but... Uh, no, manifesto does not necessarily have to be that of a serial killer or a political extremist. There was a time in which manifesto could be an expression of a better vision for, for art and humanity. And yeah. that's what we've attempted to put down on paper here in blood and ink one at once. That's right. Um, yeah, we're, we're doing like the futurists did, you know? We're not politically extreme. <laughs> but if people want to take up this manifesto for the cause of some extreme political <laughs> yeah. movement, then so be it. Yeah. That's outside of our hands. Too bad there's not some cool new invention for us to rally around. I guess we, if we wanted to be like the futures, we should be writing Elon Musk manifest, like yeah, manifestos of, of Tesla's of Elon Musk and at metaverse. Right. We'd have to be all in on metaverse. Sure. Right. That's yeah, that why could, we're not futurists. That's <clears throat> why we're not futurists. No. Um, okay. So, <clears throat> You ready for this? You ready to jump right in, or is there any more qualifying we need to do? Let's do it. This is the Magic Camp Manifesto. We, the head counselors of Magic Camp, declare that a painting is not a painting unless it is made of paint. That the entirety of New York-based abstract expressionist art is one gigantic op conceived and carried out by the Congress for Cultural Freedom and the CIA. 
we now name Taos, New Mexico, the artistic center of America. That the word moist is fine, you're just stupid. That art is magic and that we need a lot more of it. Push comes to shove it, we'll go toe to toe with Jackson Pollock if it's blood you covet. Get it? He bled on his paintings, or was it piss? We name the following certified bald pimps Picasso, Michael Jordan, Matt Lucas, Gandhi, Tyrese Gibson, Saul of Tarsus, St. Francis of Assisi, Kelly Slater, and Thomas Merton. And the following are bald hacks Jeff Bezos, Vin Diesel, Paul of Tarsus, Damien Hurst, and Martin Luther. We, the counselors with dreadlocks, believe that churches only want art to say that they have it. That pastors in affliction teas are hot, get over it. That Augustine, Augustine, could turn a phrase now and again, but he's not to be trusted, especially considering what he did with those pears. Heretofore, <clears throat> it has been regarded that Van Gogh cut his ear off from excessive horniness, whereas the truth is this. The truth is this, that Gauguin broke his heart in the platonic sense, no homo, by ditching him at the yellow house. He therefore owes Vincent one ear and is a prick, but we forgive him because his paintings are good. We affirm the agenda of those who work in a toll booth all week and paint jungle landscapes on the weekend. Of the Sunday painter, the open-minded 90-year-old who sketches the bare trees in his backyard and is cool with drag. So long as their art is marketed successfully on Instagram or can be segued into a lucrative MLM, it's cool. But actually, we affirm a rigorous and deep art, an art of the earth, of the desert, the jungle, and the cave. We affirm the carnal and the banal, the abstract and, and the academic, the indigenous, the queer, and the bald. The only non-fungible token in this life is D's nuts. We affirm the merits of productive unemployment, creative truancy, and collaborative disenchantment as prerequisites for new forms. We firmly declare the right to firmly declare. And along with it, we acknowledge that to proclaim is to imprison. That if your uncle could have done it, he would have done it. Not saying he still can't, though. <clears throat> this is a cult and John Berger is our leader. Immediately after Paris is destroyed in World War III, he will return in a flying saucer. <laughs> we'll return in a flying saucer and, we'll, and we will all drink a special mixture <laughs> of absinthe, turpentine, and cadmium yellow light and join him in the clouds at his right hand. For more details and a precise timeline of these events, please visit the Sistine Chapel. These are the Magic Camp rules for art and life. Rule number one, <laughs> always paint with a boner, or a semi at least. Rule number two, make art, not war. Shoot film, not the Taliban. Rule number three, respect the museum. Rule number four, fuck the museum. And rule number five, preach the gospel daily. <laughs> if necessary, 
Use paint. <laughs> Can you read that last one again? Preach the gospel daily. If necessary, use paint. And this concludes the Magic Camp Manifesto. Whew. We will not take revisions. We appreciate your perspective as listeners uh, and members of the, of the Magic Camp extended cult. But this is not up for discussion. It's not up for debate. We're sending around a DocuSign. Sign it or get out. <laughs> or delete your RSS feed. Get on the bus or get run over by the bus. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I, I do believe that here starts our careers. This is where we... Uh, yeah, this is, this is where... A manifesto is where things begin, not where they end. Yep. Well, um... Good to have that down on paper, I think. I think so, too. I, th I think um, it was long in the making. And, you know, there are other things we could have included, but this, I think, sums up most of it. We'd like to thank for inspiration for this manifesto. I'd like to thank um, William Blake. Oh, William Blake, yeah. Um, Caravaggio. Beyonce and all the bald pimps and any, any other bald pimp who I forgot to mention. I mean, I think this may be our shortest episode yet. And, and a manifesto should be to the point. It should be concise. Right. So I'm, I'm content if you are to finish here. Uh, it's good with me. Okay, cool. Stay tuned in future episodes for, um, length, lengthier discussion of Basquiat, uh, maybe a little, Picasso content. Mm -hmm. um, thanks for joining us. I mean, it's this has been Magic Camp. It's a podcast for anybody interested in art and power with a little bit of extra time after school. We haven't said that in a while. True. Closing we, thoughts? We also forgot to say it in the manifesto. It would have been a good opportunity, but... Shit. Also, I have forgot to say this in recent episodes. Thanks again to Trevor Welch for the sweet intro, outro transition music awesome music another certified bald pimp <laughs> no he's not don't say that <laughs> trevor has an amazing head of hair um of which i'm jealous but uh no trevor trevor thanks for uh thanks for your stuff check out his stuff at um the links listed in the episode details that's all we've got all right we'll catch you next time after school see ya Bye-bye. Later. Uh -huh.